This episode of Film Couch includes music and sound effects taken from the film Midsummer, which some listeners may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. As always, there are spoilers. This time, there might also be spoilers for Hereditary, as well as for Midsummer, since these films are from the same director. So we advise that you watch both of these films first. Hello and welcome to Film Couch, episode 7. In this episode, we're going to talk about Midsummer. I'm Joe, and on the other end of the couch is Nicola. Hey, what's up folks? Let's get into this. Between June 19th and June 25th, Flower-clad Swedes raise and dance around the Maypole. They feast, they drink, sometimes a little more than regular tea, and they bask in the long glow of the summer days. It's the summer solstice. For so long we've been so afraid of the dark, but thanks to Ari Aster, writer and director of the 2019 mystery horror Midsummer we learn to embrace fear in the light. Before the traditional English alphabet, also known as the Latin alphabet, what did we use in Northern Europe? Turns out we and the Vikings and those people back then used runes. Similarly to Chinese characters, each rune or symbol has its own name, sound and meaning. Ari Aster learned this runic alphabet and used it to foreshadow events. In fact, a different runic symbol is printed on almost every character's robe. But do these runes have concrete meanings? Absolutely not. They are pretty ambiguous, which is the beauty of it. And let's talk about them. So the first rune we see is the Tiwaz rune. It looks like an up arrow. Here's a quote to embody this rune, and we'll give a quote for each one. What is higher than the self is the self become higher. The Tiwaz rune, the symbol, it's, uh, it's on the robes that they give Christian at the end, right before his weird, mindless act of, well, act of infidelity. This Tiwaz rune is related to the god from Germanic mythology, Tyr or Tyre and is associated with justice, balance, and sacrifice. Another is the Perthro rune. It looks kind of like an E without the middle horizontal line. Its meaning is, the beginning and end are set. What's in between is yours. Nothing is in vain, all is remembered. Uh, this rune can be seen on the far left of the large panel in the sleeping room. It relates to secret meaning, uh, initiation and luck, or the idea of the universe being at play. So it's about mystery and the start of something unknown. Yes, and the symbol on the right-hand side of the panel is Othala. It looks kind of like a fish stood on its tail, and a quote to embody it is, We inherit ourselves. This rune can be seen more than any other rune throughout Midsummer, including the shape that the arrangement of the dining tables makes. 
It's related to divine inheritance and ancestral power. Another rune is Ansys. It looks like an F. The meaning it embodies is find your ears before you search for words. Uh, it is seen on the matriarch's rope and it is related to communion and ancestral leadership. Another one is Inguz. Inguz looks like a diamond shape. And here's a quote to embody that one. Only when we know our solitude to be different from our loneliness can we be whole enough to honour another's place. This one's related to isolation, separation and fertility. Um, and we see this in the film along with another rune. What's the next one? The next one is Gebu. Has a very funny name. Uh, it, <laughs> so immature. <laughs> it looks like an X. Um, its meaning can be construed as for every gift a curse. It's related to gifts, giving and taking, gratitude, forgiveness and appreciation. So those last two, Ingus, which is about separation, isolation, fertility, and Gebu, which is about giving, taking, uh, forgiveness, appreciation. These two, Ingus and, and Gebu, are used together to create a single image in the film, which could be referred to as the appreciation of the gift of life or the life cycle itself. And we actually see um, these two runes in the in the end scene in the fire. The next one is Algis. It looks like a vertical three-pronged fork. Um, to embody it, we could say, fear has its place in every heart. Courage is only a response. Now, before jumping off the cliff, the elders worship a runestone with this symbol, as well as the Gebu, the gift symbol, and Perthro, which is the secret ritual symbol, um, as well as the Ride Ho rune, which we'll talk about next. So this one connotes divinity, a divine plan, and a higher self. That's Algis. The next one is Raidho. It looks like an R. Uh, it, its meaning is the journey is a destination. And, and this rune is related to self-mastery, freedom from imprisonment, and journey right of life. All right, you've made it this far, guys. You've got one more left. The next one, and the last one, is Degas. Looks like an hourglass, but it's on its side. We could embody it by saying, Time is an illusion that once realized is lovingly embraced nonetheless. This rune, Degas, literally means day or dawn or awakening. It's the concept of becoming realized. Danny's dress includes, this is at the end, Danny's dress includes both Ride Ho and Degas, but they're inverted. Ride Ho, the R symbol, is about the journey of life, but inverted it may mean the journey of death, or the journey to death. Degas, the horizontal hourglass, is about awakening and enlightenment, so inverted it could connote hopelessness. Now, thanks to runesecrets.com, it massively helped in the runic research here. Tyriel, who is the admin of that website, even has an album of rune songs for the 21st century, which depicts each rune in its own score. So, uh, Nicola, I'm a little bit pissed off with you. 
Why is that? <laughs> Do you remember um, when we were talking about Parasite and I told you there's something that I really don't like to see? A Parasite, you don't like to see... Uh... Ah, you mean uh, <laughs> like the... How, exp- how, how explicit the, the death scenes are? Like the violence? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm okay with, I'm okay with uh, violence and uh, gore sometimes. Ah, but blows to the head, right? That was it. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I forgot this movie had plenty of those. <laughs> yeah, seems like Ari Aster really likes um, the crushing of skulls. And I just want to send an open question out to Ari Aster right now. If you're listening... You can write in to filmcouchpodcast at gmail.com, Mr. Aster, and you can respond. Have you got it out of your system yet? (laughs) (laughs) Your love of cults and the dark and the strange and the crushing of skulls. I mean, man, hereditary and then this. I'm excited to see what you come up with next. So start simple. Did you like this film, Nicola? I liked it, but I did not love it. I, I liked hereditary a lot more. Same, yeah. I'm the same as you. Um, would it be fair to say, maybe you can agree with me on this or maybe not. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the first maybe quarter of this film and I really loved where it was going, but it seemed to, I, I don't know, towards the, you know, the second half, I kind of didn't like it as much. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think the the running time helped as well. Um, yeah. I don't know if I I necessarily have like a a very fixed and established idea on on what I think about like very long films. It I guess it mm-hmm. just really depends of like if it really needs those extra minutes and in some cases hours to tell the story. I mean, I I really felt there were just a lot of things that were I mean, yeah, well for for one the story is not like as tightly packed and well condensed as hereditary. And mm-hmm. I guess another thing is just that uh, as as much as it uses like familiar tropes of like, you know, uh, movies where Americans or foreigners go to like exotic lands and, uh, and you know, shit goes crazy. Uh, it, it just doesn't seem to escape those tropes uh, as, as like hereditary does in the sense of like, you know, like a satanic film, quote unquote, you know. It, it it's really yeah. just like stupid Americans going uh, <laughs> doing stupid shit in foreign lands and then just getting shit happen to, happening to them. So uh, it, it I guess it didn't escape like that super yeah. like that yeah it, it didn't escape those uh, like that structure that I guess I would think he wanted to use it you know as a as an hereditary you know to give you the idea that you're gonna get something but you really get something else. I mean, yeah, yeah it, d- it does deal with topics that I, I, I found entertaining and, 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 and interesting, but it, it, it didn't really, uh, I don't know, it, it didn't surprise me as I thought it would have. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think um, you you said what I wanted to say there by, um, you know, I, I, I was hoping that I was being misled mm-hmm. and I was hoping that, some, that the, you know, the twist mm-hmm. would be a genuine twist, but I could kind of see this might sound ridiculous because it is such an odd film. Uh, I could kind of see where it was, was all going, you know? Mm. In fact, from the moment that the, um, you know, the, the Swedish guy in America, when he said to her, mm. when it was just those two on the sofa, something like, I'm really glad you're coming to Sweden. Yeah. 
I actually said to Mimi, we're watching it together. I said, okay, I paused it and I said, here's my prediction. They're going to go. She's going to be the May Queen. This guy's a bad guy. It's all going to be cultish. Mm. A few of them are going to die and it's going to be all weird and shit. Yeah. And that was basically the film, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, from stuff I read about Ari Aster, like, he he doesn't necessarily want, he, he did like his intention was not necessarily to surprise the audience in the end that the film would have i mean it would have pretty much what you're expecting it would have you know like the death of most of these tourists uh sacrifices and so on um and things like that but the the journey would be different and yeah. um i don't know i mean the only compelling character for me was danny that's the only like sort of more fleshed out character uh, the only one that had a sort of like an interesting backstory, the only one that was developed well. The rest are just, you know, they're just like cookie cutter characters of like typical, you know, like uh, the typical dumb boyfriend who really doesn't give a shit about his girlfriend. The typical like American students who are just, you know, enthralled by this, uh, by this uh, different culture. Uh, but it didn't go beyond that. And that's why I guess I compare it so much with Hereditary because all the other characters were interesting in their own right and they all had shit that yeah. they were going through in their own right you know even the the dad who we didn't really talk about that much i mean he was <laughs> he was really well uh uh portrayed not only by the actor but the character i mean it didn't get yeah. much of a backstory to him but i mean he was a guy who was going through a lot of pain and, and shit as well like he was yeah. bearing like the whole burden of that family but he was and 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 he was sort of like the only one that was like god damn it why <laughs> I mean, you you could you could feel that, you know. Uh, but yeah. in this case, I, I just I really only thought Danny was like the only character. I'm like, yeah, well, it's, I think he could have come up with better characters for the for the other ones. Totally agree with you. Yeah, cookie cutter characters, perfect way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was it it wasn't as original as Hereditary, mm-hmm. and it was a little bit disappointing for me. Now, I don't want to I don't want to <laughs> all over it. Um, I think it it was. It was a, a good film, and it, I think it was, you know, definitely one of the most interesting films around. You know, it is one of the most interesting films around. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, watching it back to back with Hereditary, it's yeah. um, the contrast is too strong. Yeah, I agree with uh, what you said about Danny's character as well. She she was really well developed, and the rest were just kind of uh, the same characters that you see in, in. Yeah, absolutely, and. You know, going back to the first, the start of the film, I, mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it. And something we haven't mentioned is is the music that Ariasta chooses. The music is really, really good, mm-hmm. um, especially in the beginning. I remember the opening sequence with just those landscapes in Sweden, and it's just those kind of still shots, yeah, uh, with the music in the background. And there's even a part near the beginning where you know she's going through the grief and it the camera pans out of the window to the snow and there's just this long shot of snow. And I was, you know, I was thinking this is going to be such a good journey. This is going to be so interesting. I'm, I'm ready. And then honestly, where the, where the film kind of, where I started to lose interest was as soon as they got there, as soon as they got to, to Sweden, the last shot that I really loved was where it, the camera panned and it was going upside down. 
watching the car drive away and I was like, oh, this is it. This is Ariasta, you know, upside down shot, long shots. Here we go. We're ready. And then as soon as I got there and they took the mushrooms, I mean, that scene was cool. The the trippy scene, the trippy scenes throughout were pretty cool, you know? Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed those. I, um, th- I think that's one of the, like the finer points of the movie. And I don't know if to say yet that it's like, uh, <laughs> something that, that Ariaster handles pretty well. Yeah, and just sort of going back to Hereditary, uh, specifically the scene where the guy, you know, he's smoked a bunch of weed, and then his sister is having that allergy fit, and he tries to drive her to the hospital, and that's when, you know, the the scene happens with, with her head in the post. Uh, <laughs> I, I think he handles that very well, like that idea of when something uh, traumatizing happens to a person. I don't know if necessarily saying uh, specifically while they're under the substance. Um, but when something traumatizing yeah. happens to a person, and uh, I think it's a very authentic and genuine reaction when like that person tries to take it all in, but ultimately they can't, and they just act like nothing happened. As in the case with the guy, you know, yeah. his sister's head gets, you know, it, it just <laughs> hits the post. His sister's body's just in the back, you know, rotting, and he just goes home and tries to go to sleep. I mean... Honestly, like little things like that are so are so well done because I think they're very authentic to how people actually deal with traumatic experiences. And uh, yeah. I mean, this is a little different in in uh, in in, um, in in midsummer in midsummer. But I, I I think in its in its own way, it was also very well done. You know how the girl uh, is trying to have a good trip, and uh, and she just can't seem to shake off the of course the the tragedy that just recently happened to her. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, going specifically to what you said, the, how they handled the effects, um, spe- I mean, especially with the plants and like the, how they distorted the faces and things like that. That was that was great. Yeah, yeah, it was good. The distortion in the in the, in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actually one um, w- with this trippy editing. There was one mm-hmm. moment that I thought they should have clarified a bit more. Mm-hmm. Do you know when they find the British guy? Um, and they've done the, I think it's called the the Blood Eagle. If anyone's seen Vikings, the TV series, you get to see that at some point. That was, uh, we're talk- talking about the guy who was kind of strung up and they'd opened um, kind of his rib cage from, from the back. Mm-hmm. So it looked like wings. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could see his lungs. And so just to, just to back this up, this is something that um, was real in Norse culture. Vikings did do this. Uh, and they did it while while the person was still alive. So they cut your back open and, you know, snapped your ribs and pulled them open so it looked like you had wings. And you were still breathing. So you could see the lungs still breathing. And you could see this on the British guy as uh, Christian, the American guy, was uh, was looking at him when he found him. But because there's so many other moving things like the flowers, how the, um, the pistols in the middle of the flowers, how they kind of dilate so many other move, moving images going on. When I was watching it, I thought it was just, you know, the guy's tripping and it looks like it's moving, but it's not. Do you know what I mean? So it would have been better if they kind of clarified somehow through the editing that he's not tripping, the, the lungs are actually still moving because he's still kind of alive. Or maybe it was purpose, mm. purposefully ambiguous. Yeah, no, I, I didn't. I didn't even. I mean, I didn't even notice uh, when I watched it that the guy who was, you know, that they had 
spread his ribs apart that he was actually still breathing? Yeah, may- maybe he was dead. And maybe that, that was the point. Mm. Like, you don't know whether he's alive or dead. But um, I want to jump back to the, the uh, first part of the film again before we get in Sweden. Um, I did notice an oversight. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be picky and everything, but mm. it, it stuck in my mind because I thought it was going to mean something later. When Danny's in the bed... Um, before a boyfriend comes in saying he's going to go to a party and then she mm. goes with him to the party. But it, it, it's the camera's uh, looking out of a window and it pans back and turns, uh, pans towards her. You can see the camera and the camera guy. <laughs> I'm surprised, man. I didn't, I didn't expect such a, such a, like such a goof in the movie. <laughs> I did not notice that either. <laughs> yeah, it was a goof. It was the first, you know, first, my first time watching it. Um, and I was I was mm. concentrating quite a lot, but for me to notice that on a first time, they they should have redone that. You know, it, it, it's upsetting because I think Ariaster's a great director, man, and I was I was kind of rooting for him that, and I, I want to continue rooting for him. I want to be want to be his fan. But if you're going to make a silly oversight like that in your second film, what are you doing? Anyway, I'm being, I'm being, I know you, I'm being super critical. You did give him our, our email at the beginning of the podcast, man, so he might just send us like a long <laughs> f- off letter. <laughs> well, I mean, the only way I would justify a goof like that <clears throat> is uh, just, uh, and, and remind me of this, please, in that shot you're mentioning, uh, she's in the bed. That's Is that like when her boyfriend goes and like finally uh, uh, like comforts her and you hear like this very powerful deep like wailing coming from her no no it's after that so she's she's in bed like it's the morning it's the daytime and then the guy comes in and he says i'm gonna go to a party for like a few minutes and she says oh, i'll come with you and he says oh but are you feeling okay but they end up going to the party after that mm, okay yeah so just i guess the, again the only way would justify a shot like that is if uh, I don't know if there was a particular piece of acting that was just you know phenomenal, that was great, and and there there might have been difficulties in trying to uh, replicate it. Uh, then I would just oh no, yeah like, yeah let's just let's just keep the shot because I mean everything else is great you know the, the the goof can be part of a compromise. I mean I've seen it in other movies as well and I I sort of understand it you know. Uh, yeah. But uh, if if it's nothing like that was like demanding of the of the actors or maybe of like this specific camera work that they were trying to get then yeah I would have just redone it well i think for a you know for a big film like this uh this the the mm. shot wasn't that it, it wasn't a long shot or anything and it was it was pretty much the beginning of the shot so mm-hmm. um easily redoable i think i'm kind of scared now like i feel like if i go back to watch it it won't be there and that'll really freak me out <laughs> but I'm sure it's there. I'm sure it's there. This isn't even funny. Everyone, this is Joe. I'm checking in from the editing room. We went back and we took a look at it and we think it could possibly just be glare. So we'll let you off, Ariasta. Although we're still not sure because it does follow the movement of the camera. Anyway, we'll let you off. I, I wanted to sort of get your... Um, I, I guess more than ask a specific question um mm-hmm. sort of go over the topics that he's mainly dealing with in in each of the movies in in each movie okay so um of course in something like hereditary you have uh, i mean I, I guess like a shared topic among both movies is the idea of of grief and trauma uh but in hereditary specifically mm-hmm. it's something like mental illness and in in this mm-hmm. 
uh-huh. I guess is in 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 midsummer. Uh, the I guess sort of the main topic to deal with would be what is commonly referred to nowadays as like a toxic relationship. Uh-huh. Maybe not maybe not necessarily toxic, but I mean yeah, it's just a bad relationship. And uh, yeah. and and I mean the the director has sort of commonly referred to this movie as like a a breakup movie. Uh-huh. I I sort of wanted to get your take on how you think this movie specifically deals with that if if you thought it was like actually if it was uh, well dealt with or if you didn't think it was a particularly striking aspect of the movie okay so in terms of uh danny and christian's relationship mm-hmm. right well i'll tell you something it for me from the start it wasn't a very convincing relationship and i mm-hmm. think that's that's something that Ari should have done. He should have established it as a first somewhere, even flashback memories or something, um, as you know, it, it was once uh, a nice loving relationship. Because then you can you can kind of sympathise or empathise a little bit more with Danny's character. Because when you know when Christian starts distancing himself, I just think, yeah, you know, good, f- off. <laughs> she doesn't need you but um because we didn't see how much she needs him or mm. how much he means to her you, you know there was a point where the british couple asked them how long they've been together yeah and he says three and a half years and she says it's over four years and i was like what they've been in a relationship for four years why are they so because they, they don't really communicate well and no. i don't know it's just weird to me Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's down to the performance, um, maybe particularly the performance of the actor that plays Christian, but it just wasn't at all at any point a convincing relationship. It was just a bit awkward, a bit, they didn't really have any chemistry and they should have had some, you know? I honestly wouldn't be able to pinpoint whether it's like something with the script, as in like part of the story that wasn't fleshed out, or like the chemistry between the actors. I think it, it also like... I guess sort of to emphasize my admiration for Florence Pugh as an actress because I think she's a great actress and uh, mm-hmm. and just the rest of the cast because I don't think they're particularly good actors. Uh, and and what's more specifically in the case of Christian, which I think he's supposed to be like the, the counterpoint to her character, but he's, I mean, he feels very flat to me. Um, yeah, I, I thought I so think too. there was a sort of like a bad casting choice in that part as well. I think, yeah, all of them, like you said at the, at the beginning, all of them were kind of flat apart from, uh, apart from Danny. Even, even that guy who's, you know, quite a, a well-established actor now. Um, what's his name? Is in Hunger, no, is he in Hunger Games? Ah, uh, yeah. He was, he was supposed to play Pennywise. Uh, Will, Will Poulter? I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Will Poulter. I mean, he's a, he's a good actor. Oh, he was in a, was it that black mirror and bandersnatch yeah yeah he's a good actor but i think yeah you know you, you, you're gonna have to put it down to the script then because the characters didn't really have any any substance yeah no no they were pretty uh like one-dimensional really yeah even like the the like the motivation that christian not uh, i guess the lack of motivation that he has the the reasons why he sort of stays with her which are like really the only interesting part about his character you know i mean like a lot of people i guess don't necessarily have to relate with that specific aspect of being somebody in a relationship who doesn't want to be. But, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, the idea of you being somebody who's just gone through this, you know, horrible tragedy and you wanted to make a decision before that, 
I mean, there are things, I guess, that many people can find and relate to, but aside from that, there was nothing else about his character. And again, this is going beyond the f like his strengths as an actor. But aside from that, yeah. there was nothing else appealing about his character. And, and not in the sense yeah. that, I mean, yeah, he's supposed to be portrayed sort of like, not as a villain, but as, a, as an unlikable character. Because, I mean, you can even have unlikable characters who have, aside from that, um, uh, that part of his like, character's motivation, he, he didn't have anything else interesting to go with. Yeah. And when you create, when you have a character like this, someone who obviously the audience dislikes or even hates, it has to be someone that they love to hate. Now I think of um think of the office the US office uh the character Ryan in the US office if anyone's seen that there's a character who you hate but you love to hate him but this character um that Will Poulter plays uh, he plays Mark you you just hate him you don't love to hate him you just wish he wasn't there and it's just not a, a nice experience with you know to to hate a character in such a way without taking enjoyment from it, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's because, again, we don't have any history. We don't have any background. We, he's, ju he's just a d That's it. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, it's flat. Yeah. It matches the um, terrible conventions of uh, horror characters that you see. I mean, in, in that sense, I mean... Uh, you know, again, with the exception of of Danny's character, they're, they're all like the same type of characters that I've seen on like movies like Hostel by Eli Roth. I mean, they're just one-dimensional flat characters with nothing to uh, with nothing interesting in terms of like background or context. Um, you know, I said at the beginning that we're not going to all over this film, but we'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's I, I think, it's I think we, can, <laughs> we can go past our criticism. Of, of Midsummer and, and just go into the good things. Again, I'd, I'd like to uh, to state for the record that I'm a big fan of Ari Aster and I know that he'll do uh, great things. Uh. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, what's the guy's name? The the guy who's... He did Us and Get Out. Peel. Uh, Jordan Peele. Mm -hmm. Jordan Peele, yeah. He said... Because obviously after Hereditary, Ari Aster had... Uh, everyone had high expectations of what he was going to create next. Mm -hmm. And Jordan Peele said, um, I think you've made the most idyllic horror film of all time. He said this about Midsummer. Hmm. I mean, one thing to point out, and, and this is really just my, like my probing of the like YouTube comment sections when the trailer first came out of Midsummer. <laughs> and, and one thing I have to admit is like pretty ballsy of a director to do. And 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 you've I mean you've mentioned this in the introduction, sort of goes along with that, is that I mean not many people make a horror film, you know, in broad daylight, so that by mm. itself is a challenge. Yeah, I, I I mean I can sort of see it coming from from Jordan Peele. I mean obviously they're like, you know, uh, like filmmakers from the same generation. Maybe they're they're peers. I don't know. I mean I don't know if they're they're friends personally, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of people like praising this movie. Not not that it doesn't deserve praise. Like even Bong Joon Ho said, this was like one of the best movies of two thousand nineteen, and that's something I I don't know if I would necessarily agree with. Yeah, man, it just sounds like I'm shitting on this film. <laughs> Honestly, I liked it. I think it just goes back to you know we had such high expectations. That that's the thing. When when uh, 
when I saw Hereditary and I was just completely floored by that movie and I thought it was phenomenal and I loved every second of it, I, I was mm-hmm. like, man, I cannot wait for this guy's next movie. I cannot wait. Mm-hmm. And then once like the synopsis came out and I like, even before the trailer, I think just the synopsis that it was going to be like a breakup horror movie of like this couple that goes into like this idyllic uh, like village in the middle of God knows where in Sweden. I was like, man, that sounds phenomenal. And then I, I, I saw the trailer and I was like, oh my God, this looks great. And uh, and I looked up the script and I, I read it before watching the movie, which I don't know if it tarnished my enjoyment or not. But even the script already sort of disappointed me. Mm. Yeah, it might be like you said, you know, it's uh, you, you watch you watch or, or you sort of appreciate the this, a, a specific artwork by, a, by an artist, in this case a filmmaker, and you're so enthralled by it that you... Your expectations just, you know, hit the roof of what they're going to do next. And uh, yeah, and that might be a bad thing, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know what? Let's talk about, let's let's focus on some of the positives. It's so easy to be, you know, to have the cloud of hereditary looming over this film. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the, the, the one thing that I loved, again, with this film is the long shots, um, particularly with Danny's character and Mm. um, I think the you know the dancing scene where she eventually becomes the May Queen Mm. there were some really really good shots then some long shots as well and um, yeah amazing performance mixed with um, the you know, trying moving a camera around and a big group of people like that. Um, I don't know how it's all done technically, but for, for so long, yeah, it's really good. Um, the the imagery as well of the film was, you know, really good. These bright landscapes, big bright open landscapes with uh, little odd. Um, symbolic things placed here and there. That was really good. You know, you can take some really good um, snapshots throughout the film. Yeah. No, th- definitely one thing, I mean, one one uh, aspect th- that is very praiseworthy of the film is the photography. I, I, the photography, the set design, the the art direction, all of that is very well done. That that's something like I think like once you usually see it in like a one piece of a filmmaker's like body of work, you're like gonna expect that throughout most of his uh, like most of his work. So I guess yeah, it's something that you sort of relegate it to like a you sort of always depend on that and don't necessarily expect it to disappoint you. And that's why you're always giving more pressure on, on other aspects like the story or the character development. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Going back to like the special effects, which is another thing that is praiseworthy. Again, whatever uh, visual effects artists they had for this movie were just did a, a great mm-hmm. job overall. Um, did you notice anything, uh, anything like in Hereditary, like in terms of attention to detail that that uh, might have, and and not speaking about runes in this case, but just like any sort of details in a shot that might have foreshadowed any events. Foreshadowing in this film mm-hmm. is absolutely everywhere. every single shot i think and this overwhelmed me a bit when i was watching it i was like oh my there's 
you know, all these symbols constantly. And there's, there's this, mm-hmm. uh, that, that really good shot where they look at the, uh, like, I think it's like the tapestry and they, uh, kind of go left on it. Mm-hmm. And it, you see this little story, which foreshadows the event of where that, um, lovely young woman puts a p- in his pie and, mm. uh, yeah. menstruates into his, into his drink. <laughs> uh, lovely. But, um, <laughs> Apart from that, it is absolutely everywhere. The pictures and the the, the runic symbols. Do you mm. think there were other things that there was? There was one thing I was expecting already, because it was in all like the the reviews I've read about the movie and 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 just like videos on the movie. Because I was like, I already read the script. I mean, nothing can really spoil much of it now. Um, yeah. One thing was so so I, I noticed this in the movie because I was looking for it, and I'm not sure if you saw it. But um, there's the scene where, you know, she's, uh, Danny's chosen as the May Queen. And there's just this, like, long panoramic shot of, uh, like, the people in a line sort of carrying her towards, I don't know if it's the house at that moment, but they're just carrying her. Uh, she's, like, poised on this platform. In the background, you see, like, part of the forest. I don't know if you've noticed anything in that part specifically. Something in the forest? Yeah. Th- this was, like, the, this... Like the strongest visual imagery that I, I think <gasps> that people have noticed. No way. What was it? So, so it's it's like a, like again since it's like sort of like a panoramic shot and uh, they're carrying her to the right, but so far she's like in the left side of the frame. Uh, in the forest behind her, the again this is something they worked with with the visual effects artists, but they distorted the leaves of the trees and uh, like the branches and everything, so it looks like the face of her sister. With the tube connected to her mouth. No way. Yeah, and like her, the, precisely in the way that they found her when they actually, like, when the police got into the house, and well, you assume that she's seen the, that she has uh, observed the scene as well, and her sister, like, one of her eyes is just like rotten, and like dead. I mean, because she's just inhaled all these fumes, all of these fumes. So um, yeah, that's like one of the. I mean, that's one of the uh, the images that I found particularly striking. And obviously, again, I was looking out for it because I, I remember reading about it in the reviews. Dude, I just found it. It's at 1 hour 49 minutes and 33 seconds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, yeah, she's, she's Whoa, in the right side of the man. frame, sorry. That's pretty mad. I wonder how many other things there are then. Yeah, again, I, I don't doubt there might be like more things. Maybe not like as, like as much... In, like I guess as noticeable as this, but I mean again I don't blame you. If I didn't read about it, I probably wouldn't have noticed. But um, I mean maybe just like even more minor details that they've splashed throughout the movie. Another thing, and this doesn't have to do with the visual effects, and and this is something I just found out after watching the movie. But you know how the beginning of the film starts out with this. It starts out with like a tapestry that sort of cuts in the middle and then opens and you see like this uh like this aerial shot of like uh the town where she lives in but it's covered in snow and everything if if you look closely at that tapestry which again you you are able to because i think it's on the screen for maybe like a minute or so so uh in, in that tapestry basically you have the whole movie laid out in front of you it's like beginning to end uh if i remember correctly like the whole like basic plot points of the movie, I think even including the sacrifice at the end. I'm looking at it right now. So I, if we go from left to right, you see the the death of the parents and the sister. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting, yeah. And then it, it goes from that to her crying with that obviously looks like Christian as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
the, the yeah. guy. Yeah. And oh, then you yeah, see so them walking it, in the woods. So it might not have the like the, the bonfire, I guess. But it's it's Ooh. pretty much close to the end. It's interesting that you see um the the guy who invites them to the to the to Sweden, right? Yeah. Yeah, you see him up in the tree. Um and he's carrying a flute. His name is Pell. Yeah. But what I was gonna say is interesting is um what's interesting is Mark, Will Poulter's character, mm-hmm. has this like jester's hat on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's quite interesting, like, he's the jester. And all of the characters are, like, right there. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. And it's quite obviously them. Again, the attention to detail was pretty good. And, and sort of going to the to the idea of what you mentioned of Mark, and, and, and I guess bringing the topic of a director's cut, um, from what I understand, you are, um, you're, you're sort of giving more insight into his death um, in the director's cut. Like, you do see more of those details there. From what I've heard, uh, well, besides, again, um, like a more fleshed out, uh, more fleshed out scenes of like, I guess, some of the characters' deaths and things like that, the the director's cut gives you uh, a a better developed uh, relationship between Danny and Christian. So I guess it might be something of interest, uh, just like as a future watch. Uh, to see if maybe that yeah. helps along with that part that I guess in both of our opinions kind of is lacking. Yeah, maybe we should do uh, the director's cut. I'd be interested to see because maybe maybe that you know patches it all up for us and then we'll be like ah. Yeah. But I mean, this film itself was two and a half hours long. The non-director's cut. Yeah, it's quite long. I think the director's cut might be a little a little over three hours. That's. Um, I think. I think we kind of we, we kind of summed up our thoughts and feelings on this film. I, I just want to say, you know, if anyone hasn't watched it, <laughs> you, you do give it a go because it is a good film. Okay, I know that we haven't really sold it to you, but um, it is an interesting one. The blunt force trauma to the head isn't something that I really like, and I was cursing you, Nicola. I was sat there <laughs> watching it, and I was like. F- sake nicola why didn't you warn me about this <laughs> uh what we're we gonna do next we, we wanted to do whiplash I, I i wanted to as well so we could do that it would serve as a nice point of comparison between two uh i mean relatively new filmmakers each one so far has ari aster has two films out uh damien chazelle has three films out so let's do whiplash bit of a change of pace now i mean are we gonna keep waiting for lighthouse to come to cinemas no, we can just do Lighthouse, man. That's probably going to come out here. It's just it's just not going to come out here. And I have no idea about Lighthouse, by the way. I don't know whether it's horror or anything. Don't tell me. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. But literally not. All I know is it has Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. That's it. So I'm excited for that. It's, it's really, really good to go into a film knowing nothing. Yeah, that, 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 that definitely helps a lot. And it's also, again... Uh, it it's still on on topic in terms of like young filmmakers who are who are you know in the beginning of like in like in the cusp of their like filmmaking career because Robert Eagers this is also his second film I believe so ah awesome what was his first one um, I'm pretty sure it was the the witch I don't I mean I'm pretty sure that's oh. his first film unless I'm mistaken Damn. and he's made anything before that nice oh lighthouse is gonna be good. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Couch. Uh, please remember you can write into us at filmcouchpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, it's bye from me and Nicola. You can sign us out. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, guys, thank you very much for listening again. There, there is a silver lining to all this, uh, this situation with the coronavirus, and it is that uh, Community will be releasing on Netflix, I believe, in the beginning of April. It is one of the <laughs> best uh, television comedies, in my opinion, overall, so I highly recommend it. Uh, I hope you all take care. We are going to do Whiplash next week. We're a little bit done with the horror for now, and we'll be taking a breather from that. Perfect. All right, let's hit stop record. Three, two, one. Take a breather from that. Breathe in. For your vitality. Take a breather from that. Troubles of recording a podcast long distance. Like in, in that hey, case. Can you hear me? Oh sh. You still there? Can you hear me now? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, you're back now. All right. Don't, you didn't stop. You didn't stop recording, did you? No, 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 no. Uh, it's, it's still on. All right. I can fix that in editing, and I'll I'll pick up from where I left off. So um, I thought that the trippy scenes, the tripping scenes, were pretty good. What did you think?